When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan, the virgin Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today, my friend. Clearly the whore. The whore. (laughs) (laughs) You wish. I do wish. <laughs> How's it going, my friend? How's life? I got to talk to you about something. I'm going to crack oh, my crack my bubbly here. Oh, what do you got? I got a little, uh, what is this? I, I almost said uh, Perrier, San, San Pellegrino. Oh, wow. Well, no flavored. Go. I'm not allowed to have you drink. Sugar. You always, uh, you, you have like a selection of drinks at your house like you're at a hotel. Mm-hmm. Like you got like Fiji water. Oh, I I'm surprised this. you don't break out the little Coke, you know, the, the little Coke glass bottles that they give yes. you at like conferences that you only see at conferences. I'm surprised you haven't broken those out yet. Conference or panel Coke? Yeah, pa- like panel Pepsis <laughs> that are some like missed like seven and a half ounces. I'll get on that. I'm going to get on Amazon. That'd be sick. See, I'll see what I could do about that. Yeah. What's going on? I have on? to talk. Nah, nothing big. I think one of my mm. neighbors is trying to murder me. Other, other than oh, that. Oh, oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, this, what is a, this is a thing. This oh is the thing goodness. that's been going on. I've been waiting to talk to you and the audience about this because I wanted to see how it was going to play out. Is this the guy with the trees? No. Oh, okay. He's good. This is not. I knew you were going to go right to that right. neighbor because we've had a kind of a contentious relationship. But no, I'm pretty cool with those neighbors these okay, days. Good. good. No, this is a really random one. And I've been waiting to discuss this because I wanted to see if I could get a little step to some sort of clarity closure answers whatever but so i I did get one step closer in 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 a in a two strikes at a three uh sort of scenario i'll explain so i go i go for walks in my neighborhood right i go for these brisk walks i have my pattern set doctor recently said like it's not enough to go for walks like you got to go i think i did i think i did mention this you got to go for like brisk high-paced walks get that heart rate up so I've been on this thing. Yeah. I've been doing the wiggle. Yeah. Yeah. The, the speed, the speed walking thing. Sick. I'm like, I really am like one step shy of doing the butt wiggle walk. Awesome. I feel like it's like I should just be jogging on a treadmill. But anyway, yeah. I, <laughs> I know you could just get a treadmill, but could it, you yeah. just get a treadmill. I might still go in that direction, but yeah. then I wouldn't have these, these uh, adventures to talk about. Right. So I have. There was two sets of neighbors. Now, Helene and I, for a little context, a little background, Helene and I have been in this neighborhood. It'll be 12 years in March. So we're coming up on a dozen years that we've been living in this house. When we moved in, it was mostly empty nesters in the neighborhood. I would say probably at that time, 15 to 20 years older than we were. People that had kids in college or older and they were largely the people that had these houses built and lived here from the beginning of the neighborhood in 1988 to 89. Okay. So, OGs. Oh Most of them 
very friendly, very welcoming. There were two, and we're kind of uh, situated, Colin knows, like we're kind of situated in a neighborhood down, sort of into the heart of the neighborhood. You got to kind of weave and, and, and bob to get here. And then we're kind of situated, the house is situated between two cul-de-sacs. So down here, I don't know, there's like 20 houses or something, right? Everybody's on a half acre lot, whatever. Typical suburban joint. There were two neighbors well, you know, again, everybody was largely welcoming, welcome to the neighborhood, nice. I have a couple of neighbors who were closer to mom and dad's age that I feel like took me under their wing and, you know, gave me advice, what do you need type of thing. Um, in a younger man, you know, kind of a mentor mentee situation. So lovely people, but there were two neighbors in particular, two sets of neighbors that were more standoffish, aloof, not very welcoming, wouldn't wave when they drove by. Those types, you know, and that's okay. It takes all kinds, right? It takes all flavors. You're going to get people like that. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's kind of luck of the draw, right? Your neighbors. One of those sets of neighbors right next to us left. And the funny bit with them was the husband was okay. He would say things that were really uppity and, and bothered me, but at least he communicated with me. The wife just would not talk, would not wave, never said peep, never said a peep to us in 12 years or 10 years, whenever they moved at that point. We didn't see her or have any words of conversation with her at all until she brought us some mail that was misdelivered to her house weeks Ooh. before they moved. That was the first time I ever had any kind of dialogue with this woman or her. Interesting. On the way but out. But they're gone. So the one neighbor on the adjoining so that, happened, cold- that happened in like the epilogue of, that, of their particular. The, right. Exactly. Right. right. So right. now you're on to the next. Now you're on to the prologue of the new one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. These other neighbors are still in the neighborhood. We never really have any kind of, we never have any reason to really hang out or be around these people because they don't have kids. We're not at the bus stop. I understand they're older. They're, you know, you could see their grown kids coming to visit maybe with their grandkids. I don't know. I don't really pay attention, but they're not very friendly people. They live between two, right between two of our friends, actually. Just never have any communication with them. But... I think it's kind of rude when they drive by, they never wave and everything like yeah, that. Then you get, you kind of get into the, into the rhythm of, okay, I'm not going to wave anymore. And it's kind of shitty, but you know, I'm not going to go out of my way to be friendly when they, they've never been friendly, that type of thing. Right. You play the game. So the thing, the, the, but, and I was trying to think of a reason for this, like what set this off? And I did think of, I did think of one incident. So lately I've been taking these walks and the man, the standoffish man that lives in this house, the husband, drove he was driving towards me as i'm going for my walk now i stay i'm not one of those persons that hogs the road i stay close right on i'm right on the grass line my neighborhood doesn't have sidewalks or anything like that it's very naturalistic like where we grew up right the street lights are few and far between they try to keep a natural vibe a rural vibe to the to the neighborhood so there's no sidewalks no curbs and stuff like that but I walk very close to the grass line. There's plenty of room down the main thoroughfares for two lane, you know, a, a to and fro lane of traffic. I see this guy coming at me. I recognize his car. And he's he's coming fast down a 25 mile an coming hour road. In, he's coming in hot. He's coming in hot. He's going yeah. at least 45 to 50, right? Which is fine. And I see that enough, although it bothers me. Now, he's coming up on a blind curve. I'm on the left-hand side, so he's uh, he's driving at me, so he's on the same side. He zooms by me 45 miles an hour and doesn't give me a berth. I mean, his his rearview mirror was is in, within inches of me. So I'm like, what the fuck? So 
I'm like, did he, is it possible that he didn't see me? I mean, he, I was far enough away, broad daylight. I'm thinking like this guy just buzzed the tower. You know what I mean? Like he just came way, way too close and he did it on purpose, but it's a one-time thing. It's an anomaly. Let me pay attention if this happens again. So lo and behold, week later happens again. Now I go for walks on random times. It's not the same time all the time. So if he's coming and going from work or something like that, we just happen to have another random encounter, right? Does the same exact shit. He comes at me really fast. Doesn't give me any berth whatsoever. There's no car coming the other way. There was no reason. It's a, it's a low traffic time of day, two thirty, three o'clock, something like that. There was no reason. And there's no way he, he couldn't, he didn't see me. If this guy has the vision to drive an automobile, <laughs> he had to have seen me if his eyes were open, right? This isn't Stevie Wonder, right? The guy's driving. He can't be blind, right? So I'm like, all right, now this happened twice. What the fuck? And I got pissed. I knew, and now I know who he is. And I turn around, I was like, fucking asshole or something like that. You know, like I got pissed off said something loud enough for him to hear you know turned around and i'm thinking the guy's gonna stop we're gonna have words but i was pissed you know so now and this was probably about two weeks ago and i wanted to see you know third third time being the charm three strikes you're out whatever really been waiting for this third time to get full-on proof that this guy is being pissy with me aka maybe half trying to kill me smack me with this rearview mirror whatever it is and i'm thinking like what i understand this guy's always been a little loose since we moved in but did i do something specific to piss him off him not really that family not being in our orbit as i mentioned at all right so i think back to i believe the summertime and one of their grown kids or somebody that comes to and fro from the house often think it's somebody related to them but i don't know it could be a friend it could be a cleaning lady i have no idea came zooming down the road leading to my cul-de-sac you know the front of my house and which i didn't know who it was it was a car that i didn't actually recognize and i was like asshole like slow down because the dude was driving like and these kids playing in the streets you know i don't even know if my kids were outside but my neighbor's kids were outside you know there's kids hustling and bustling riding their scooters or whatever and I screamed at this person. I was like, yo, slow the fuck down or, you know, asshole, whatever I said. So it could be stemming from that incident. But I don't know because that was also two or three months ago. But anyway, so I'm thinking like, <laughs> so I'm thinking You might like, have answered your own question a little I, bit, it might be. It might be from that. Now, the guy is definitely. It was that guy that you yelled at? It was that it was somebody associated with that guy. Okay, so somebody you, yeah, all right. So we're getting house. closer now. We're getting closer now. Yeah, one of truth. his grown. I'm I'm assuming it's one of his grown children. I don't even know the family dynamic of how many kids they had because they were empty. Again, they were empty nesters before. And you we called him an there. asshole, like a very Long Island. Yeah, called, that's good. I called him an asshole on the second buzz, and then I called in in the summer. I'm thinking back in the summer. I had that incident where I called that person affiliated with him, probably one of his, you know his daughter or something. An asshole. An asshole for speeding Very down. Very long. Very long. Okay. Now, I think you might have drawn the drawn the right conclusion that this this guy has a little bit of a vendetta. Yeah, know? I think he might be. Yeah, he's playing I a dangerous game. He could, you know, what I mean. He's are we are we doing murder over I mean, this? Maybe. Is this where maybe. you know what I mean? Like maybe vehicular homicide. Vehicular, yeah, hom- manslaughter at the very least. I mean, I wrote <laughs> down a few. I wrote down a few options for you. Okay. Number please, one, please. Caltrops. 
Next time you see him come come down the street, just drop a few caltrops on the road when he comes down. Fuck his tires up. That's a spike strip. Just the the little ninja ones that look oh, like jacks. Oh, I know the ones you're talking about. Yeah, like, like you know, like idea. that Tenchu would use those. The second thing you could do, you want to be real slick when he gets by you. A little magnet sensor, you put him on in his car and you track him. Oh, you know, try to try to, you know, it comes by you real quick. You're just like, oh, okay, beep. put that right on his, you know, under his the wheel well or something when he's coming by or doing something like that. It might be a little difficult to do that, but you track him. Maybe he's having an affair or something. You nail him that way. Oh, the third the third thing you do is I used to ask dad, dad, why do you keep a knife like a huge army dagger oh, in your car? And he would say that there was a time where a truck got so close to him that he like pulled out his knife and threatened to stab the dude's tire while he was driving. And that's why he drives with the that's why he had this like Bowie knife. And Holy so you shit, could, I didn't know about this. Yeah. So you could just uh, dad comes out with these stories like. Like dad will say things. Where it's like, why didn't you ever say that before? Yeah, never came up. That never came. <laughs> You know, it's like the, it's like the story he told when he drove his truck all the way from Queens without brakes. It's like, how does that story yeah. not come up every month? Love that least? story. One of the great stories of all time. Absolutely love that story. And so and shout out dad. He, he was just here. He was he was saying how much he uh, enjoys listening to the show, even though we throw him. On, I find a way to throw him <laughs> throw under the bus every the time. Bus. <laughs> These but, are the uh, three options for me. Well, I just I don't want to say the three. I just want to say those are three. Those options. are three. Caltrops. Yeah. Tracking magnet, playing the long game. Maybe you find him doing something untoward. Yeah. Or you just take out the knife, stab that 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 tire as he comes by, skids out, you know, crashes into the stop sign. He gets out of the car ready to go and you fucking fight. You oh, know, that's, see, and, no, no. Melee combat. We're getting rid of that immediately. That's not. That's so the dad. knife's not an option. Then you don't want to introduce the knife into the fight. I'm not saying that. I want to say you want to use it like dad would use the knife on that 18 wheeler that was I too close that. to him on the Wild Expressway that. in 1980 or whatever the fuck. Absolutely. And I love that. And I wish I could. You know, I mean, I honor. But I also have to honor the, the differences between me and dad. That that's going to end up in me getting my ass kicked. So that's out. I love the extortion angle. Love it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's too nice. much work. I mean, there's an option to that. I love power. the craziness of somebody that goes for a walk equipped with caltrops. <laughs> because that <laughs> is going to put the fear of God into this guy. If I was that prepared for you know for for an encounter with this guy that you know because no one no one's going for i'm going for a walk it's it's a walk it's a lovely thing no one goes equipped with ninja weapons but i love the fear of god that that would instill in uh in an enemy in this case uh you know right because uh, he's he's almost home right and he so the the, maybe gets a little message this tires was a little bit of pressure he gets home and he looks what's in it he's like i probably ran over a nail or piece of glass and he looks and he's like what are those and they're the finest metallurgical japanese metalsmith caltrops and he's like who is out for me and that would check him you yeah. know who made this and and this was made in like a kyoto blacksmith and it has a secret mark on it and he does all this investigation on it and he finds all this crazy shit about you that you just made up like this. you're part of a secret organization. Yeah. I mean, I lo- if we could kind of c- somehow couple this with a blow dart or a dagger with a message on it. I mean, I don't know how you don't go for option A. I mean, I'm, if, I'm in love with this, this option. I'm going to, I'm going to keep you guys posted on this because do. this happens a third time. 
it's got to be it's got to result in some kind of confrontation. I mean, how can it not? It has so. to. Well, right. I mean, that's what I'm saying is like there's I always love thinking about all the things we imagine. Yeah. And I think we imagine most of the things that happen in our lives in some way, someone's perception or someone. But I do think that things happen where you're like, no, there's no doubt. I'm not going to be gaslit into thinking that this didn't actually occur multiple times. And it's so funny, Dave, how simpatico we always are, because I was going to bring up something about my neighbors today. Oh, please. In the sense that I live in a similar cul-de-sac type neighborhood or whatever. And I have a friendly relationship with people. First name basis to some people. I mean, I'm not hanging out with anyone, but but there are these people that I've noticed they like all gather together and hang out around this one corner where I walk the dogs all over the place. And the last like couple of times, few times I've gone by them and this goes into like perception versus reality. I feel like they've really given me the cold shoulder and been like very brusque with me. You know, they sit out there like gather, watch football, hang out or whatever. And it's usually like very friendly. Okay. But now it's like barely an acknowledgement. And part of me is like, OK, so there's a few things. There's a few things here. Number one, especially this one woman, like definitely. I'm, that's why I'm like, this one woman is so cold to me now that like something happened and I don't know what it is. So hmm. there because she like came up to me in the supermarket once to say hello to me and stuff. And I was like, OK, um, so now she like doesn't even really seem to want to talk to me at all anymore. And so there's a few things that I think could have happened. OK. And number one is that I and actually I don't think there are even a few things. I think it's one thing. Is it possible that someone has figured out who I am and has somehow listened to a show where some story has come up that they've are offended by? I don't think I've talked. I think I've said many nice things about my neighbors. I've said a few things about my neighbors that, you know, they're a little crazy. Like what? And the one thing I was thinking about was how a lot of them were kind of half joking about asking to use the pool when it was being built. And I think that came up on the show once. And so perception versus reality, that's my struggle right now, because I had this other thing. Remember when I was telling you that I caught the woman's dog pooping on the lawn? Yes. And and I saw that woman today with Micah and she was super friendly to us. Like we had this awkward thing where I was like avoiding her, where I was like, oh, my God, she's like down the street. I'm just going to go this way and like walk with her. Because it was just awkward because I caught her dog and she was in this. But she was like really nice to me. So I, I said when we passed by her with my guy, I'm like, that's ameliorated. Like, it's done. We're good with that woman now. Like, we okay. can just move forward with that woman. Okay, okay. But now we have this other thing brewing and I can't figure out what it is except mm. for me. to. And the other thing, well, the other option was I was like, had, did I turn these people down too many times? Because they did ask me to hang out a bunch of times. And I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I'm just hanging out. You know, they're like, yo, you want to watch the game? And I'm like, I, you know, Sundays. And just, eh. But the answer is that I really don't like I don't. No, it's not offensive. I'm sure you're very nice people. In fact, I might be good friends with you. Sure. But I don't even want to hang out with my real friends. (laughs) You know, like I have real friends that I have like an affinity for and some sort of legacy with and some sort of affiliation with. And I barely talk to them. Yes. So I'm not going to like start erecting new relationships around the neighborhood. Except for the neighbor, neighbors across the street who we really like, the lesbian okay. couple across the street, okay. we like them. We like, and we like everyone, but we're, we we like them. We have, we have a good friend, like a building friendship with the lesbian couple across the street, where I think we're going to become personal friends. Oh, that's but, nice. Yeah, but that's cool. Kinda they're fun. Somebody. Yeah, yeah, they're fun. But so I, it's so funny you brought that up with your neighbors because I was going to bring up this, uh, not the same thing, but a similar story where I was like, I don't know what I did. Mm. I don't think the only, only other thing I can think of is that I. I smoke weed. Mm-hmm. So and it's prescription, by the way, in Virginia, I have a medical marijuana sure. license. I can actually grow it in my yard if I wanted to, which would be fucking even funnier. 
And I think I might actually start doing that next year because it's legal in Virginia as of January 1st for everyone. So I oh, start growing my own grow bud. It. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but wow. um, but I, I float around in the pool and smoke a joint sometimes. I mean, the pool is obviously closed now, but I've done that many, many times. And I'm like, is that offensive to them somehow or whatever? Mm. And I'm like, I'm like, I, and I know I have that very California sensibility. I, I lived there for a long time and definitely took advantage of that reality there that medical marijuana has been legal there since 1996 which i think really blows people away it's been so long and so there's a huge culture there for it yeah and so and i remember when Allie came and visited and i was smoking a joint walking down the street as i've said before and we would walk by some cops and she was like astonished i'm like i'm telling you no one cares it's fine it's legal don't worry about it like she had never been in a situation where it's like just you're just allowed to do it (laughs) it's okay and i'm like really no i'm not just bullshitting you it's fine And so I know I have that mentality and maybe that's offensive to some of the Southern sensibilities here, but that those are the only things I can think of. The only thing I know for sure is that those few people are not as nice to me as they used to be. And I definitely didn't do anything personally to them. Like I'm sure I am very overly nice to people actually. Yeah. Like I tell Mike and she always notices too. Like I play a person when I meet people, like when there's a lot of kids in the neighborhood, I'm not really, I don't really like kids to be honest. And, but I force myself to be like, Hey, how's it going? You know, when you see them, we're like, Hey, how's it, you know, like be like real personable with it just to be, you know, because you don't want to be the asshole neighbor. So I try to be as cool and nice as possible. To yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so always that like, one wonder, neighbor that the kids never knew. Mm-hmm. I can think of the one growing up on our block on, on neighbor Avenue, Medford. Like there were there was a neighbor at the edge of the block, a couple of doors down from John on that side of the street that I never knew all the years I lived there. And then all the years I would come back and visit my two best friends that still lived on the block. Never. They never interacted. Yeah. So you don't want to be that creepy. Right. Couple. You're right. I, and I, I try to be, you know, personable and all of that. It's, so it's like, I don't know. You well, anyway, it's not it's not a, you didn't shift your attitude. I know you too well for that. I don't I didn't know. You sure. do have a big enough Internet presence, especially with sacred symbols where you they, you they could be listening to you because they have a star on their block. I mean, I mean, it really it's an Internet star. I know it's not Brad Pitt. It's not Leo DiCaprio, but. You do have a, you know, you do have some sort of celebrity, you know, so there is a, there is somebody famous living on their block. So if they're listening in and who knows that, if they even figured it out, you know, like, see, I could see that being a big thing with big YouTubers because, or podcasters, because it probably starts off as a thing of like recognizing in an exciting way, like, oh, so-and-so lives on the block, like Joe Rogan, Colin Moriarty, whoever, right? Red Letter Media, whoever, so sick. Like let's we we could listen I to them. Red like, we feel media. like we know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know this person, you know. And then if they get to listening to you and you start to say things that they don't like, I could see the milk turning a little sour. I don't know. I mean, I think that's a little that's a little much. But if somebody's a little overly sensitive or whatever, well, that's why I'm just like perception versus reality. I just don't know. Am I, do I really believe that someone sat here and listened to this shit and got I a fa- think- and and some. Maybe I don't I don't I know so. it's possible it's possible even if they're not interested in video games like you're a celebrity living on their block so it's like I want to see you know they want to be a part of that they want to get an earful of that but I do think I'm leaning towards the kind of um, you know not accepting the invitations over and over oh, again. okay yeah that's, you know that's, what you gotta that do I can understand that kind of you gotta give them a yeah. rain check and I know you don't want to do this but if you want to keep things on the up and up with these people, maybe you don't even care enough with these people. You just like maybe it's like a free like it's, it's a little like free like I don't have to deal with this person. So, you know, great. God bless. But if you did want to keep it on the up and up with this specific household, 
you got to say like, look, I can't, but like three weeks from now, why don't you guys pop over and, you know, we'll get a pizza and we'll watch the game or whatever. Nine times out of 10, they're not going to take you up on it. Right. But if they remember, if it doesn't come up again and they remember and they call you out like the day before, like there is an ad, they're like, oh, it's, it's that Friday night. You know, the, the jets are playing the so-and-sos like, mm-hmm. let's get that pizza hang out with them the one time and then get out of Dodge as quick as possible because that's <laughs> fucking creepy as shit and you'll kill two birds with one stone yeah you'll know for sure right yeah, that's, in- that's interesting yeah because a guy down the street for me too who's a perfectly nice guy he asked me if I wanted to like join some neighborhood group to play fantasy football or something and I'm like okay. no, I'm, I'm, I appreciate it dude I'm just I'm in my own leagues and and all that and then like that guy barely acknowledges me anymore too and it's like I don't know why like why do I have to say I have to like be so friendly with everyone i i don't i'm i'm friendly but i don't want to be everyone's friends because uh, that to me is too weird you know i don't i don't want to i'm not fucking 15 years old i don't need my friend next door to me anymore i don't want that <laughs> I, I i need space from from people so anyway it's funny that you brought that up but let's move on to the the topic at hand all we're going right, along here go. i'm sorry about that no that was fun that was fun all right and we're, we're recording this and publishing this by the way on halloween Yes, we're, we're, we're publishing a late. We're sorry about that. Um, we had a, a few scheduling snafus that we had to work through. And by the way, we did do all horror movies in October, November. We're going to do all albums. Woo! So you guys have that to look forward to as well. But I wanted to call this movie out. The Cabin in the Woods. I didn't know anything about this movie. This is where and I wrote here in my notes. I want to make sure that I open with this. It's just the idea of ignorance being bliss. I really didn't know anything about this movie. I knew I remembered the poster maybe seeing it in the theaters or something or with the cabin and a bunch of different views of it. It's, it looks like a Rubik's cube kind sure. of. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, so I remember that, but I going into it, I even reading the synopsis on Amazon when I rented it, I, I read it. And by the way, I looked for it on Netflix first to see if it was on there. And, and I just love the algorithm because they brought up the shack, which I thought was so funny. Like this movie <laughs> called the shack. It's like you search for cabin in the woods. Did you mean the shack? No, I certainly didn't. It's not even close. Yeah, it's like maybe it's, it, this is like some budget spinoff of it or something. But with Cabin in the Woods, I went in really expecting. I don't know what I was expecting. I was expecting something very traditional. I thought what it was going to be, actually. I don't know why I thought this, but what I thought it was going to be was a very well-made, archetypical slasher film that was supposed to just be really good. That's what that's how I kind of interpreted it. I again, I don't know why it's very similar to when we did Lost and I talked about how I interpreted the commercials for the first season as being some sort of like romantic island weird thing. And it's like not that at all. So my my interpretation of it obviously was totally wrong. And what I ended up finding on the other side of it was what I think is a really, really good movie, really clever, some pretty good performances and funny and I just think uh, it, it it was it really does show the value, though it is a double edged sword, because how are you how are you fully aware of anything if you don't try to become aware of things? But having avoided what that movie even was, I don't know if you could have even spoiled it for me because I wouldn't even have the perception you were saying anything about this movie. So I don't know, man, I'm very interested to see what you had to say about this, especially because you chose this one. You wanted to do Cabin in the Woods and and I was happy to do it because I never saw it and you, neither of you. So talk to me about this. 2012, this movie came out. Yeah, I thought this would be a fun one to go out with for our knockback Halloween 2022 sort of, uh, you know, sort of series. And 
you know, we did a bunch of iconic horror movies. We did Poltergeist in the past. We did Rosemary's Baby in the past. Then this year we did The Shining, did The Omen, we did Texas Chainsaw, we did The Exorcist. And we had all, you know, the common thread was we had seen all of those movies before we were revisiting those. So I thought to myself, what can we do that neither of us have, you know, have seen yet? You know, something new, something fresh to both of us, if anything. I didn't even know that we could go down that road, but I wanted to see. And then for me, I was going to go out with either this, ultimately, or Amityville Horror, the original. And a do a Long Island, Island spin, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we could always go, we'll, we'll do Amityville Horror. We're yeah. going to get there next Cock- year. They're Cocktobers to come. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> but then I was thinking of The Cabin in the Woods, and thinking back, this movie's a decade old. Of course, we know it was shot in 2009 and put in the can and left there for two or three years until Lionsgate unearthed it and that whole story, which is really interesting. I don't know why they didn't have faith in this movie because I think it's wonderful. But I had remembered I worked with this dude years ago, an animator. He was actually an editor, I believe. And really cool guy, really big pop culture guy. I remember he was a notorious Star Wars fan and Star Trek fan, which I always mm. had a bone of contention with. I was like, yeah, you gotta that's pick weird. one or the other. And he yeah. had a big bone of contention with me playfully because I hated Star Trek so much. But he was always on the pop culture sort of cutting edge. He was really into toys and he he. when this movie, now I had already thought like, it, this couldn't have been 2012. It had to be more recent. I would say maybe 2015 or 2016. So maybe it was the advent of getting a certain edition of this film on Blu-ray or something, but he went through a certain amount of weeks worth period, like two or three weeks. It could have even been a matter of a month or two where he was raving about this movie every day at work. Cabin in the Woods, the Cabin in the Woods. It's amazing. It's so clever. It's so witty. This movie changed horror films. He would just go on and on and on about how great it was. So it was always on my radar of like, I got to check that out. And I never really, like you, Kyle, I never really knew what it was. Is it a horror thing? I knew it had some kind of dark comedy elements. I knew Joss Whedon was involved. But even for me, that even piqued my my curiosity even more so because I never really was a Buffy guy. Angel, not at all. Firefly, I completely Yeah, missed. Firefly was the only thing, that w- w- Whedon thing I was really... I've been remiss on to. Firefly. I got to definitely visit Firefly. And even, I think the only Whedon vehicles that I really was, you know, that I knew was the original Avengers and then Avengers Age of Ultron. Those are only two th- Joss Whedon things I knew, but I knew of him. And I knew of his, that, you know, he was this young, clever writer. I thought about him in the same breath as like a Dan Harmon or something like somebody like a, this young, youngish, half young writer who was kind of breathing new life into Hollywood. Right. Yeah. He wrote, he apparently did writing on speed and shit like that, which is kind of cool. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. He was like a script doctor. I think he was uncredited on a lot of things. Um, You know, he had a lot of kind of half came out of the Spielberg camp under J.J. Abrams, so kind of a mentor, you know, a mentee to a mentee type of thing, but kind of in that Spielberg lineage, really interesting dude. And then, so I was like, you know, it would be cool. Let's let, let, let's kind of do Cabin in the Woods. It's, first of all, you know, happily it fit into that 10-year knockback rule, right? It's, ten, it's old enough to talk about mm-hmm. now, which is crazy yep. to think about. So, you know, that was the crazy thing. Now, this guy, Tom, that I talk about, who was always raving about this movie, the craziest thing. We were supposed to do this episode on Friday, and then our schedules got messed around, and I had technical difficulties over the weekend. But the Thursday, 
In other words, the day before we were originally going to do this episode, Tom emails me out of the blue. I hadn't heard from this guy in six, seven years. And he's like, do you want to go out for drinks tonight? It was almost as weird as, I don't even know if I forgot to mention this to you, Kyle. The day before we did the Omen, I got an authentication code, or it was that morning, actually. I don't even want to know. Of 666-666. Don't say it. And I was like, come on. I literally said out loud, come on. That's not even, like, this was like three hours before we recorded the Omen episode. I don't know how I didn't mention that. But isn't that funny? So this guy kind of comes back weird. into my life right when we're about to talk about him, his his beloved The Cabin in the Woods. And you know what I found was was a lot of fun. I have to say from the beginning, though, I didn't really know about, I, I kind of knew at an arm's length about all the Joss Whedon. I thought it was more of a Me Too, typical Me Too sexual uh, harassment controversy. But apparently yeah. this guy's a real shitty I think it was more of like a bullying abuse. thing. Abuse. Yeah, yeah. It was like, Verbal it was like a, and actual physical abuse. Yeah, yeah, like he's just an asshole on set. I mean, maybe both, but yeah. It, it was we'll so get into, bad. We'll get into him. Right, Kyle? It was so bad that I heard... You guys have to look this up. I normally wouldn't do this, but there's a, rant, a Kevin Smith rant, anti-Joss Whedon rant on YouTube. That's like five minutes long. We know Kevin Smith. He's very diplomatic. He's very lovable. He's a friendly, affable dude. He goes off on Joss Whedon for five minutes. And that was kind of the beginning of me learning. I took the week to kind of learn about the, the specifics, the particulars of this Joss Whedon thing with Buffy, with everybody he's worked with and everybody who he's, you know, run afoul of. And I have to say, man, I almost texted you at the beginning. And it was like, I don't know. I don't even know. I'm seeing Kevin Smith get this upset about somebody. Can we, should we be doing this episode? And then I, I got to, you know, you get your head on straight and you're like, okay, it's like MJ. We did right. the Thriller album. It's like, you can't, can we, is it possible? To, and I don't know if it's always possible, but let's, can we separate the art from the artist? He co-wrote this. There's a lot of other players involved. You know, you have, drew goddard and you have the players and you have all the other people involved so we didn't i wasn't sure if you wanted to go into that but wasn't it interesting that i i actually almost called it i was like i don't know maybe we should switch it or maybe you should pick because i gotta delve deeper into the Whedon thing you know that was my initial thought before i kind of studied up over the course of the week but man i have to say just my my brief study education on Joss Whedon leading up to this, he seems like he, he really does seem like an asshole. Yeah. I don't know the whole, the whole um, story with him. So I'm writing it down to make sure we, we visit it. Um, so we make sure we talk about it. Cause my whole thing is that no, no one is going to be off limits to, to an episode of knockback based on behavior of someone that wrote it or did something. We won't do mind comp. How's that? We won't do a, we won't do a, <laughs> that's a what deep dive into that. But no, like think about it. Like we think about all the movies. Didn't we do what, what the hell is, um, we did a movie with, uh, Rosemary's baby. Oh, is, sure. is, 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 that's arguably worse. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great so, one. I never think of that one, but yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, of course. Um, I, why can't I think of that dude's name? Oh, the director. Um, yeah. give like? me a second. We have to look it up. Rosemary's baby. It's crazy that I can't think about <laughs> it's it. It's terrible. That's having a scene. Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. Polanski. Of course. People are like, Roman Polanski! Polanski, you idiots! Give me a break. I'm not in that mode right now. I can't, I'm not, I'm not encyclopedic <laughs> with that kind of stuff. Very limited and less useful things. Ask me and I can probably encyclopedically talk to you about them. Okay, so 
let's get into the the story itself. What I think is interesting about this, and I was watching it, it's a, it's a brisk hour and a half long, a little more, is I think this movie actually could have ended multiple times. And I wonder if you saw that too, and if if I have one problem actually with the movie, it's that they tell you too much. I was thinking about you a lot, obviously listening to it, watching it, because I felt it felt very Spielbergian yes. to me. And I found that I don't know if that's part of the meta of the movie, because there's definitely a deep multi-level meta with the movie. Definitely. And it's unclear what's even real and what's actually going on and who these different organizations are. And there's a lot of questions and plot holes and. I don't think it's necessarily about any of those things. So I don't know if you should read into these specific things too much, but I just felt like they put too. if there's one error the movie made, it's they put too fine of a point on everything. It was actually really mysterious and fucked up the less they said. And so I was wondering if you got that vibe too, that they kind of put too fine of a point on it. And especially there's that one shot, especially when they pull back when they're in the elevator and they pull back and there are all the monsters and all the different boxes. I was like, just end it. That's the end. Right. And it and it reads like a black black mirror episode, basically. Sure. And and uh, and there were multiple other times, too. But I felt like they got too cute with it. Like they were almost trying to set something up. And I know that they weren't. I don't know if there's any sequels or remakes or anything like that. But to me, I just feel like they might have gone a little too far with it. And I think more mystery would have benefited the story more. But otherwise, I think it's really a clever thing. So did, did you get that vibe too? that Spielbergian kind of vibe? Definitely. You know, I got that Spielberg flavor just with you know, the cleverness and the ideas and the thoughtfulness that seem to go into everything. And, you know, just a very witty premise of like, how do we explain the stereotypes, the cliches, the tropes, the archetypes of horror, you know, and, and, and why, why is horror always like this? And then kind of turning it on the audience and that whole thing. But you're absolutely right. Like they could have there is it is the type of thing where they do put the pretty bow on the ending. It's not a sentimental ending. It's a catastrophic ending. And I think that even makes it even cuter. But yeah, they they kind of went to great lengths to almost over explain. You're absolutely right. I wasn't even thinking of that. You know, they could have they could have pumped the brakes at at any time after a certain after a certain beat. You're absolutely right. But yeah, it's like, well, it just felt like it's like, don't you get it? It's the underworld. Like, I know, man, I get it. <laughs> yeah, they were beating you over that. But I feel and, and you I'm, know what? That's where it didn't bother me because I really did think it was very cute. But they seem to be saying after what after a, a certain amount in that, like, no, we have more cute stuff to tell you. We have more cute beats and more cute ideas that we have to share. So, you know, they had to they had to, you know, it was it was a cleverness bomb. It was like, no, look, seriously, look how clever we are. Look how witty we are. It, again, it didn't bother me. I kind of found it. I, I found that to be a joyful experience. And I, and I, I do think it's clever. But yeah, absolutely. They could have. They could have pumped the brakes a little bit and showed a little more restraint, I guess. And that would have probably that probably could have could have been just as effective, if not more effective, you know. But instead they went for this, I guess they went for this very over you know, like how could they if they pumped the brakes, then they wouldn't be able to introduce Sigourney Weaver as like the final girl, you right. know, type of thing. It was it was cool to see her. They had yeah. to do too you know, they had too much you know, they were having too much fun. Almost, but you know that's okay. I'll take fun rather than a than a than a slog. And it was short, you know. Yeah, buck thirty five. I was actually really surprised about that. And even watching it, this was one of the few things I got to watch with Helene. She was interested in seeing it too, and she liked it. But that was another thing too, where it just 
the whole viewing experience, especially watching with somebody else, it was a little different for me because I don't usually do that. It's usually a solo effort for me. Went quick. It definitely went quick. And then it also occurred to me, Kyle, like, I'm not sure. Again, I'm not really a horror, like, aficionado, but it's it's odd to me that it took this long for somebody to do a movie like this. Obviously, you have you, you have those tongue-in-cheeks tongue-in-cheek sort of um, satires or parodies like Scream and everything like that in the in the 90s and the aughts. But something to really make an all-encompassing horror send-up. It, it, it was odd that it, it took this long for somebody to think of that, but I think it was in the right hands with uh, with Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon. I think they had the right the right idea because it seems like... It doesn't seem like... It seems like a proper send-up. It seems like a loving send-up rather than something that's making fun, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, and I, I, I got to say, because you were talking about Whedon and all the accusations against him or all the, the, the uh, well, it's accusations, I guess, pointed at him, is you can see, and you hate to put it this way, but it's it goes to show you how he gets away with it because he's actually really clever. And that's what I looked at with this particular film was I was really astounded by just how clever it was. I was like, wow, this is an awesome idea. Definitely a much more sophisticated idea than it represents itself as being, which I think is again, part of that multi-layer meta of the movie. And I was like, why didn't anyone ever think of this or like what? And I, my mind really operated in this mode of how many different things can you do with this? Has this ever been, done before this is so awesome like bringing in i love the intro sequence where it shows like the human sacrifices and stuff from like the aztecs and i love that because it just shows that these things all tie into this placation of this underworld that would get way crazier if not for this placation that we look at as this barbaric stuff and we still do it in this most organized way and so I, i just really dig that that idea a lot and i love the idea especially of they're just being a bunch of different things that can go wrong and they're all real. What did you make of the the kind of goofiness of the foundation itself? I, I thought now I'm a I'm a big fan of um, of the West Wing, as everyone knows. And I thought Bradley Woodford. Well, I love Bradley Woodford. He plays basically the same character and everything. But and he's awesome, as I've said, because he's come up in the past. He's obviously awesome in the West Wing. And he's awesome in Handmaid's Tale. He plays a very harrowing character in that. But it's always good to see him pop up. And I, I will, he plays very much the, the Josh Lyman character from West Wing in this, where he's just very fun and snappy. They even have a few walk and talk moments, which I wondered if what was a, a direct nod to that. I think it probably was. There's a, there are a couple times in the foundation where he's walking with someone and talking. And that is totally what the West Wing was. And you don't see that really anywhere else. So I think that that was kind of a nod to that character as well, since that's an iconic character in in tv history in my opinion so it's cool to see him but there's like this zaniness to the way that they present it what did you think about that because they could they made a a foundational uh pardon the pun because we're talking about the foundation but a foundational decision to make it funny and there's another direction where this didn't have to be funny and what i was thinking about in terms of this was the last of us now i'm gonna spoil the last of us the first one a little bit here so tune out for 30 seconds if you'd like give you a moment <laughs> but at the, the end of the last of us joel makes a really selfish decision that could potentially cost 
humanity, everything. And uh, similar decisions made at the end of this movie. So you could have played it totally straight and I think actually gotten something different out of it. So I'm wondering what you thought about it, about making it comedic as opposed to like treating the foundation like a very serious thing, which I think is another option that would have made for an interesting film. So, I mean, it is serious, but you know, like if it was taken seriously, like they're taking bets and they're fucking around and it's a joke. <laughs> and I wonder that decision makes it a comedy, but it didn't have to be that way. I don't think to make the movie good. I'm, I'm wondering what you thought about that whole thing and the decision to do that. Yeah, that treatment was a lot of fun. I mean, I think it does start with the Hadley and Citizens character, you know, characters of Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins. Those two are awesome together. I'm not sure. I know either their catalogs deeply enough to know this, but like their chemistry on screen together is awesome. Like it really worked as like a mentor and protege. It really worked as two office workers that could have worked in a sprawling, you know, warehouse like laboratory complex anywhere doing anything. But their job was like this blood sacrifice, you know, orchestrating this blood ritual this appeasement of the the ancient gods. So I love that the they're you know they're typical office workers. They're having you know crappy coffee in the break room. They're commiserating. They're kind of bitching about their lives. They're joking around. They have this fantasy betting pool going on. There's water cooler talk. They're berating the their you know their inferiors and their underlings, but. It was like, you know, in the context, it seemed like the the office workers you and I would, you know, associate with daily. But what they're doing and their role and the backstory behind it, it, it's hilarious. You know, it's like this thing that they're doing with great gravity, this all important thing that actually keeps the earth in one piece, you know, keeps humanity alive. But they're just office workers. And those two were perfectly cast for that. And I love going back and forth between the misadventures of the kids and the dingy dark cabin and, you know, that sterile, sprawling, white office environment, you know, overlit and everything like that. Such a neat thing. And actually, I was thinking about this. This is the one thing I lamented with doing the episode because it has been so long now And even though I never really had my ears pricked to the specifics of the movie, you just hear things over the course of a decade. So I wondered how many things got watered down because I've heard about things or I've had things inadvertently spoiled or I was accidentally in earshot of hearing things. So my experience might have got a little diluted rather than if I went to the movie theater in 2012 and sat down to see this with audiences on opening weekend. I would have loved that. This is one movie that I could think of off the top of my head that I would have really loved to to have been surprised. There were still plenty of surprises, but I do wonder how much, you know, I got a little less, there was a little less energy there of, you know, seeing it for the first time because I knew of this, I knew of that. And, um, but I, I love it. I, I think it's, I think it's brilliantly handled. Yeah. The acting is great. There's not really that many characters to contend with. And I think if you watched it really with a with a fresh set of eyes and went in, I think there's plenty of surprises. Like I kind of half knew where it was going, but I could definitely see audiences not knowing what the hell this was. You know, I even watched the trailers to see what audiences were going in with, what kind of information they were going into the theater with back in 2012. And I think now Helene, I told Helene and Lilia this, they think I'm crazy. I think this movie would have benefited from not having any trailers 
I don't know if that's ever been done. That's my little dig and proud moment brainstorm. I'm sure it's been done in the past, but to have a movie that says, look, we're not going to show you anything. Maybe a poster, an image. Here's the, you know, the director of photography, the director, the cast or whatever. Here's the image. Go in and see the movie and really be surprised. Maybe there's a log line, but that's it. This movie could have really benefited from that because I think going in, even think of how it starts with the typical horror opening with the running blood and then it cuts right to the underground facility with these two golf goofy office workers having their banter about childproofing furniture and it's a wild ride. It's really a roller coaster ride because you're like, what is this? I don't know if I, you know, you're trying to identify is this, is this funny? Is it serious? Is it horror? Is it drama? I don't know what's going on. So I love that they kind of lead you along and you don't really have firm footing on what you're getting into. And so I think it is a movie that could really benefit from really going in unspoiled, you know, and I think just being on the planet and being, you know, kind of rubbing elbows with nerd culture over the last 10 years fouled it up a little bit for me. That's so funny, Dave, because it really did. I just I didn't know anything about it. I just really didn't. I somehow just avoided anything. There was so you had that experience. Yeah, I didn't know anything about it. I, I'm when I tell you that I just went in thinking it was a real slasher movie. I did. I just thought I knew that it was revered for some reason, but I just thought it was because it was good. Yeah. And for some reason, I, I in my mind, I guess in my mind's eye, I saw it as that one of those films that was like the horror turnaround mm. that actually happened a few years later with Re- Resident Evil seven and a few other games in, or in gaming where horror just came into a new renaissance. And horror is obviously there with film right now between like Get Out and Nope and all these movies. Then you have all the Ari Aster stuff. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, we're, we're, so so I, I thought that maybe this movie was just a like a, a beginning of that, a, a, a certain first gust. But so, yeah, I really did go in blind. That's why I was like, I, Mike and I were working. I had no idea that this was this was the movie at all. <laughs> Trying to figure it out. Right. Now, what do you think about this idea? Do you think they could have played it, this movie straight? Do you think that this movie could have mm. been done without being funny? Definitely. I think that, yeah, I think that could have been a whole nother flavor. And you know what? Not, I feel almost bad weighing in on it because not being a, a super huge horror buff, I'm much more of a film guy than a horror guy. But, you know, that might exist, whether it's a B movie or whether it's something more popular and just went under my radar. But I could definitely see playing this straight and I could see making it quite scary as well you know i mean i could see but this is more of a thing of saying like you know taking all of the horror that we know whether it's scooby-doo or the slasher movies exploitation the masked killers all the stuff we always talk about the shining the exorcist friday nightmare everything halloween everything and saying like these are the reasons you know this is why it it is the way it is. This is why the you know the blonde slut is always killed first, and this is why, this is why the kids are always having sex in the woods when it seems like an inopportune moment when they should be hiding or splitting up instead of teaming up, and all these things. It explains all the things that bother us, all of the things that always seem to be integrated into horror, and saying no, these are the these are the reasons for it. I love that. I I would have definitely chosen the dark comedic style rather than the really deeply horrific style but who knows maybe that's another option to take something like this anyway and say let's make it something that's really dark you know well i was gonna say because it, it reminds me a little bit of interstellar which is a movie we've done even though it's not within the the parameter actually it, it it is almost um old enough to have really been included but we did it already because i love that movie so much and it reminds me 
for some reason of the version of NASA in that movie where you discover that there's just this huge entity that for many, many, many years has been trying to work on this huge problem that you didn't even know existed and how it's like you can laugh almost because you want to cry finding that out. That could be maybe the laughter from it. But it was just I just thought of it because I was like it, it was well served to be a comedy. I liked it. I thought it was funny, but I, I just couldn't help but think what if you tried to present this idea where throughout time people have had a placate like hidden knowledge has been passed on in some way to placate this ancient threat where you have to figure out human sacrifices and not only that but the way they used to do it then is not the way we do it now we do it in such a sophisticated way that we we could just pull them all and kill them right but they they say in particular like they have to make the choice they have to choose for themselves and they have all these other things going on around the world which makes it even fucking crazier the <laughs> Japanese schoolgirls love that and shit. they like bind the Japanese schoolgirls the Japanese schoolgirls <laughs> bind the spirit into like a frog it's like so funny <laughs> so, so that, shit, that shit is definitely hysterical but it's it's interesting that it's all predicated on this idea that we can't and I don't know if they go into this and I don't know if this is the intent but it, it reads to me that they're saying we can't force this because we society doesn't allow for that anymore. In other words, we're not in the we're not in the human sacrifice realm where we can be like, here's the slut, here's the fool, mm. here's the thing. We'll kill you first, we'll kill you second, we'll kill you third, and placate. And doesn't matter what happens to the virgin, kind of thing. And my my vibe, and maybe I'm misinterpreting it because I only saw it once, was them saying no because he says like, no, they have to choose, and once they choose to open the the, the treasure chest or look into the conch or whatever, I love that when he's like, it was in his hand, <laughs> the merman. The mer- the merman stuff. And when you think about that, I-, I dug that. Did you get the same vibe? Is that is that do you think my interpretation is accurate that 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 there's simply a modern idea of saying, like, we're going to do this, but they have to do it to themselves. We're yeah. not going to actually do it to them. There's got to be some level or of, of autonomy. And I dig that. I dig that, by the way. I think that's like really clever and cool because they worked it within the parameters of humanity, like, you know, modern expectations where it's like sure. you're going to die. Absolutely. And you're going to do it by sacrifice, but we're not going to drag you to the top of the pyramid like the Aztecs did. Right. We're going to put you in this fucking crazy ass situation. We'll instead. lead you, but you have to follow. Right. So do you think that that was like, do you think that that's intentional or do you think that that's the rule? You know, I think how I took it now, Helene, watching this with Helene was an interesting experience again for me because she's a big stickler. She doesn't miss a beat. She's very investigative in terms of details and she doesn't really like to suspend her disbelief like that bothers her she comes from a less she's i'm down for more whimsy and that probably comes from being a comic book guy and being an animation guy and she her sensibilities are much more grounded so it's interesting watching things with her because i'll realize there's a lot of things i'm missing just because i'm so willing to suspend my disbelief and just have fun oftentimes you know but i my take my read on that was this whole thing is this is this event that's orchestrated to appease these ancient gods and that it's a blood sacrifice but my whole thing with giving an element of autonomy to the victims was that it's a game and that it's entertainment so Mm. if you're kind of force feeding every beat of this thing it's not fun you know so that there's that element it's like it's like watching sports right it's like we know it's going to play out we know the broad parameters of how things are going to play out, but we don't know the finer points. That's up to them. That's up to the players. That's up to the, 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 the participants. So 
we we could lead them to the basement, but we don't know what they're gonna pick. So it's always it's it's always fresh. It's entertaining. It's uh there's that element of surprise and that element of like what are they gonna pick this time that makes it a proper sort of entertaining thing for the gods. You know the mean spirited ancient gods, which is obviously us, the audience, or horror film buffs, or whatever you want to say. You know that we we have to see the boobs. We have to see. You know, we have to see these kids die horrifically, but how is it going to happen this time? You know, that's the game. That's the sport of it. So that's how I read it. But I, I don't think they over explain that. I think they kind of again, like we're, we're like the five kids, you know, in the Scooby van, you know, we're kind of being led a little bit, too, but we're not being pushed into certain corners. We have our autonomy too of how to how to sort of interpret things. And I think that's really, I mean, I think that's what makes the movie so much fun that they don't, they don't spoon feed you the whole thing. Like I, I would love to see more like, all right, we have this global effort to appease these gods. Every country has their, you know, their, um, their means of participating and they're responsible for holding up their end. But it always comes down to the United States and Japan. You know, it would have been really cool to throw Italy a nod there. Like, oh, Italy used to be on top in the 60s, you know, with Dario Argento and everything like that. But they kind of fell off, you know. And oh, but, you know, Japan and, and United States are always kind of the last men standing. But here comes South Korea because all of the, you know, which would have been which would have happened sooner than 2012. So they couldn't quite do that. But you know what I mean? I love that kind of fun element of like, oh, Sweden, oh, fuck them, Turkey. Like they, those guys are, those guys are deadbeats. Like it's going to be up to us again to, you know, to save the planet. And, you know, so there's a lot that's left to the imagination because we never really see the other countries contending. They're just, they failed. You know, we see on the screen, they failed. And they said they showed... I don't know if this was in a director's cut or something, but they show some of those details of the failed screens where it's like you could see Dracula's castle or something like that, but he got the upper hand, upper hand, you know, that type of thing, (laughs) which is really, you know, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot you can do there. Yeah. So maybe it is, maybe I'm misinterpreting in the sense that like, yeah, it kind of has to happen in some sort of organic way. Cause I was just trying to bind it to the human sacrifice imagery because that was obviously not done in any certain way. So I guess I was just wondering, could a more, I don't know, totalitarian humanity just take five people and just be like you're dead now yeah right and that that's the way it, it seems to me that that was the way it used to be done so i liked i like the extra statistic nature of saying like we're gonna make this into a game and <laughs> it's gonna get really crazy and you know what it was it was reminding me a lot of just a couple other pieces of fiction this reminded me a little bit of that old story the lottery remember that where, oh of course shirley jackson yeah man. right shirley jackson exactly and then yeah. it also reminds me of just the hunger games a little bit where it's combat and it's for entertainment and it's all fucked up because it's kids fighting each other for no reason. And there's one winner. I love that story. I, I love how dark young adult books can get and how we're just like, yeah, that's fine. It's very Um, similar to hunger games. Helene brought that up, which I don't know if I would have thought that before you said it and she said it, but it is, it's very, yeah, it has that totalitarian sort of oppressive government, mean-spirited games for the entertainment of the upper crust and you know very you know that society with you know a very hierarchical order you know i love that i love that universe it's so good it's so cool it's good shit Uh, man and then it reminds you of squid game as well which is more Mm. recent did you did you see squid game i only watched the first two episodes that i'm not through that yet 
oh my god, I lo- I loved it. I I thought it was so good. I was like, this is so amazing. I especially love the Kojima like bad guys in it. You, have you seen them yet? The those dudes. I haven't. Masks? I got a little. I got a little spoiled, but I'm only through the first two. You know, what? I gotta go back. Home. That's gonna be my next thing. I that kind of fell off my uh, radar. That's good. They're doing a sequel, so it would be worth getting oh, back into. Oh, I would imagine they would. They would bring. Yeah, they figured that. out. They they're gonna figure that out. I'm sure. Yeah. So it reminded me of those few things, and then, um, in in some way, I just, I love the idea of putting these consequential choices that go way beyond any reason into the hands of humanity, and them making the wrong choice. It's fr- Cabin in the Woods is frustrating in a way because they make the wrong choice. They, I know it's a horrible thing. But you would think that they would do the right thing. So that was that was a frustrating thing to me. But what did you think about the the various players? We do have the five, um, the whore, the fool, the scholar, the athlete and the virgin as we went through. And I kept wondering, Kristen Connolly, where the fuck do I know her from? And then and it was bothering me and it bothered me and bothered me. And then I, I looked finally. It's, she's in House of Cards. That's where I knew her from. Oh, she plays the like girlfriend of the gubernatorial candidate from Pennsylvania. I mean, it's a, a random thing but she's a, a somewhat main character for a couple seasons so that's where i knew her from and that was a little bit after this i think but especially because this was filmed in 2009 so this was definitely after this but what did you think about the various players it was interesting especially i thought to see jesse williams the scholar who is very famous in playstation circles now because he was one of the main characters in detroit become human the quantic dream game so seeing him i was like oh my god there's you know the fucking robot or whatever from <laughs> Detroit Become Human. But what did you think about the various players and their performances? Yeah, I didn't even realize he was in that until I read it. That's a yeah. So he's iconic in those circles as well. I think you know this is a very likable cast of five. You know, it was interesting that we talked about this a little bit with Texas Chainsaw, but I got that Scooby Doo vibe again. You know, the the five kids in the van going out to have fun. They're not solving mysteries like the Scooby gang, but they're going out for, you know, for a good time. And it kind of starts like a teen comedy. They have their witty banter. They're in their little dorms, their apartments, their college town. And they're excited about getting some time off the grid, drinking a keg of beer, smoking a little pot, little sex, whatever. You got the fifth wheel in there. Felt like very formulaic, almost like teen comedy, rom-com type thing, which a lot of horror movies start out with that vibe. So it kind of felt familiar, but you know what's interesting about there's two interesting things I found out, you know, I I discovered with this cast. I think all the players are great. I think they do this thing where you have the five types, right? You have the fool, you have the virgin, the whore, the scholar, and the athlete, but within the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes of the film, you find out that they're not so stereotypical of types, right? You have the burnout character but he seems to be, he seems to have a modicum of wisdom. He's not just the shaggy, you know what I mean? He's not just the Sean Penn from Fast Times. He's seems got a, he, he has the best line, which is bind them with ancient logics, which is, a, <laughs> I love that line. So I wrote that one down. Right. Like, and you have like the good girl, like the virgin character, but we already know like she's not a virgin. She's like, she was having an affair with her professor Right. So there's a little gray with the character, the whore, the slutty character is a pre-med major. So we know she has a head on her shoulders and the quote unquote athlete, you know, the, the Hemsworth character, we know he's like super smart. He does his like goodwill hunting spiel in the beginning with the books. Like, oh, if you want to read, if you want to impress your professor, like read this book, he won't know this. 
So they're giving us like different dimensions to the characters, even though they're supposed to fulfill these archetypes, which I think is interesting. And then, of course, the other kid who's supposed to be the scholar is an athlete. The Holden character is coming over. He's like all state and he's coming over to play. He's coming from whatever they said. He's coming from county or community college to play for state or whatever. So everybody's got an added dimension to them. And then I found them all very charismatic too, especially the Jules character, the Kurt character, and the Marty character. Those three especially. I think Dana and Holden are fine too. But those three characters are so charismatic that you kind of worry for them. They don't seem like just like machete fodder, like in a Friday the 13th where you're like, okay, the Kevin Bacon character is kind of dead. Like, you know, they're just, they're going to be so much blood on Michael Myers hatchet. You know, you kind of really cared about them. And then when the movie went into that territory of them having to start to go through this ordeal, specifically when Kurt and Jules lay down outside to have sex and that knife goes through Jules's hand, you're like, oh shit, the movies, this is going to get brutal. Like, you know, from that instant that these kids are going to get fucked no matter how much you like them. Like, you know exactly what the tone is from that moment. Like, there's not going to be anything precious. You're going to see these kids go through it. And I thought, and by that time too, interestingly, you're getting that dark comedy flavor. You're getting some laughs. You're getting a, you know, you're getting a, you're kind of full of uh, the Hadley and Citizen characters. So you're having a good time. But then all of a sudden, you also realize, oh no, shit's gonna get dark, and the movie's gonna go off in that direction, and they're not gonna be so precious with our heroes. And I thought that was really interesting because I wasn't sure how they were gonna handle that. You know, you got the comedy elements. And we know it's kind of dark and it's tongue in cheek, but are they going to, you know, are they going to show us the gore? Is it going to get brutal for these characters? And it does. Yeah, it's it is funny how in the middle of the film, it takes a kind of sharp turn and in a lot of different ways. It gets much more into the mythos of the movie as well. What did you think about the basement in the cabin with all the different ways that they could <laughs> they could succumb to, I guess, e evil horrors? There's all these things they're mystified by. Plus, they're being gassed and poisoned in all of these different ways to kind of push them in a certain direction. What uh, what do you make of that idea? I love the I, I love him playing with that orb thing, and then you see that random like I don't know, it's a pirate character or something holding it later on, and I guess that somehow would invoke him. But what did you think about that idea that they kind of had to make a selection out of all these different options I that ended that. up being these real horrors? Dude, it's so fun. I mean, you have to have the basement. First of all, the creepy basement. The, the basement is one of the scariest things, right? Think of like Dawn of the Dead or something like the basement. Like that's one of the most horrifying notions. There's, pro there's other, what other horrifying basement stuff was there in, in horror films of old? I'm not even sure, but off the top of my head, but you got, you know, I love to have all the tropes in there. And the fact that, you know, you have to get the kids into the basement, but they have to select of their own accord, the one icon, the one object that's going to evoke whatever specific evil. So of course they choose the zombie redneck torture family or whatever, but yeah, you have the merman in there. You have the, the porcelain dolls, you have the Hellraiser type orb you have the carnival games that i guess would evoke the evil clown and the evil circus so it's so much you know it's so much fun it's all specific just like the creatures that we see later you know all of those things are sending up all those objects all of those icons are sending up those props are sending up some sort of i you know 
famous horror you know content of some kind so it's it's so much fun and i love i love that too not only that they have to that's where they have to step in the teens the victims have to step in and choose of their own volition but also that kind of ties in to all of the office workers and all of the people behind this being able to have that office bet you know what i mean which is so much fun here's one thing i didn't i don't even know if i missed this in watching it or if they kind of go into this territory at any point but these people that work in this under sprawling underground lab facility where all of this stuff is done and all of this stuff is orchestrated, do they live down there too? Because at one point, I think it's the Hadley character says to the uh, gas station attendant, you know, he says, how's the weather up there? You know, so I was the Harbin, that's the Harbinger character. So I wasn't sure if they're always down there. And they kind of lived their whole yeah. lives down there because they were saying, right, the younger female scientist was saying she was alluding to the fact that it gets pretty heavy and, you know, it, it kind of gets to be a drag. And the one thing with the inter-office betting is one thing. They're trying to stay lighthearted about things. And so I wasn't sure if that was like their whole life down there or do they get to come out, you know, they work a nine to five and then they get to surface yeah, again. I'm not sure. Or are they are they there for like periods of time and then they leave, you know, something like that. Right. Yeah, it is interesting. I think that by taking the comedic route, which they did, they that you're kind of forced to suspend disbelief where these questions don't really matter. I think if they I think if they took the serious route that I was suggesting was a possibility, then they'd have to kind of explain some of this stuff away. Because I was thinking specifically about that as well in terms of what do they tell people on the outside? How does this not get out? This is this is a pretty big secret. There are a lot of people working on this and it seems like it's going on all over the world. So what's going on here? But because they take the comedic route, they kind of disarm you from ever having the proclivity to ask that question because it's not really that important. Yeah, but but it is relevant. And that's that's the serious take would have required an answer to that, which is interesting. Yeah, I what wonder. Or if there's any like side fiction, like is there a comic book? Because he's talking about child proofing his house and get he's having his first kid. But is that some apartment underground there? They're yeah. always at DEFCON 5. So like they always have to be on duty type of thing. Or do they get to go home and then the, there's a night shift? It's interesting. What do you think about the Truman Show type reality of living under cameras like that and being constantly followed and all of that? Does that make you uncomfortable thinking about that? I, I often think about that. I even wish I had just had a sticker over my phone on my <laughs> the camera on my phone you know i don't like having all these active microphones and all these active cameras everywhere that are certainly listening to you and watching you and i don't know creeps me out what do you think about that aspect of this movie yeah i think we've even gotten so much closer to actually living like that even since 2012 right there's cameras in our cars certainly cameras on our front porches every store we go to every school our phones, our computers, like, yeah, like we kind of do live like that. <laughs> you know, no I like the no Marty doubt. character finding it too. Like he finds the the wires in the wall and he gets to, you know, he gets kind of hip to what's going on or at least half hip before he gets yanked out of the window. But yeah, it's kind of creepy. And it does, it does recall things like Truman Show and, you know, constantly living under surveillance even when you're not aware of it. And yeah, it is interesting. There's a lot. There's a lot to think about there with and that, you know, having that whole environment set up from the covered bridge or that, you know, that bridge in the mountain, that tunnel in the mountain onward, like that whole part of the world exists 
just to play out this, you know, this this escapade, this event, so the gods could be appeased. It's really interesting. Let's talk about some of the imagery in the movie, which is pretty good, I think. First of all, the gas station in the beginning, is that just a direct call out to Texas Chainsaw, you think? I mean, <laughs> or am I, are we just seeing that because it's a recency bias? Yeah, it always seems like, you know, it reminds me of our first road trip down south to skate like in the mid 90s of what we thought like the south, like south of Tennessee was going to be like. It wasn't anything like that. You know, but it's what you it, it always kind of plays out in this fantasy of like we're from the Northeast, you know, everything's kind of civilized and populated. And then you're going to go down to these rural pockets where there's not a lot of people. It's more primitive. Maybe they have a little less technology, a little less stuff. There's these wide swaths of land where there's a store every 20 miles, not every 20 feet. But it, it does seem like a typical horror thing, like that whole setting off the tone of being a stranger in a strange land, you know, we talked about that with Texas Chainsaw, like, you know, and being isolated and being removed from any body, being any semblance of, of help or hope, you know, you're truly out there with the elements to contend with whatever you meet along the way. And, you know, it's up to you and your small band of burnouts or whatever you know so that's kind of and it does it does call it's it's a horror trope you know what i mean you're going back and it's the harbinger like the first person you meet that sets off something eerie it's foreshadowing of what's to come that one character of like don't go any further and it, you know it dates all the way back to dracula we read that mm. novel for knockback actually right. you know going to the town outside the castle grounds and being like don't go any further you know, only bad will come or, you know, befall you if you if you continue on this way, like stay in town, that type of thing. Enter of your own free will. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and plus the Harbinger character, that guy is amazing. That, that guy is fantastic with his chewing tobacco and his, yeah. he's kind of wall-eyed. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's really good. It's good shit. Another image I love is just that zombie character with the bear trap. Morning Star chain thing whip. It's, it's so cool. I I always just love. We were talking about this when we were doing Texas Chainsaw, which was just the introduction of weapons, just arsenals of weapons, and how everything can become a weapon. And bear traps actually remind me a great deal of Resident Evil Four. But putting you think about it, it's like I've never seen anyone put a bear trap at the end of a chain and then throw it at people and use it as some sort of whip. So that was a kind of a cool implement. I liked some of the violence in the movie. What did you think about some of the more violent imagery? I thought it was somewhat stayed. I didn't think the movie was very scary or gory from any perspective. No, and it could went much further. Yeah. So I was a little bit surprised by that. I don't need that or want that. I don't care. But what did you think about all of that more violent imagery? Yeah, I think, yeah, it called up like those awesome kung fu movies of the 70s with the crazy weapons. Like every every movie you see, there'd be some other dynamic, yeah, like a comma or something on the end of a chain. Then they want to mm -hmm. put it, you put it on the end of a pole. Now you got a brand new weapon. Yeah, the bear trap on the chain was, was pretty inventive. I think the whole mutant zombie torture family thing was a pretty inventive trope, actually, because you're taking, you're taking zombies... And making it into this group of zombies. But then besides just going after brains, they're fighting with weapons. So it's taking a bunch of different tropes and putting them together, mashing them together and forming this new thing that I thought was pretty inventive and fun. 
And there's more of them because you have a whole family to contend with. So that's kind of cool. So that, I thought that was cool. But I, I like you, Kyle. I agree. Like, I thought we were going to see some... Se- now, Jules... Spoilers out there, right? Jules loses her head. And that gets pretty graphic because we actually see the dismembered head and yeah. everything like that. Yeah, they throw it at her. Yeah, But there wasn't a lot of, like, limbs getting cut off. So I thought it was really going to go in that direction. Once we see that initial brutality, I really thought that it was going to go off. And I thought that it was only going to go... Keep going in that direction and get worse and worse, but it really didn't. I thought it was pretty restrained, and yeah, I was surprised about that because I thought the movie was definitely making a comment early on once the violence starts that it's going to get pretty rough for these for this for the for the group. But it it stays it stays pretty pretty tame. The the one thing I thought was pretty like scary movie like the the series scary movie ish mm. like comedic was the bong stuff with all the fighting with the bong and the bong kind of saves the day and all that and the stoner kind of being the, the savior that was a little goofy I felt like the the stoner character is actually a little annoying at times even though he had some cool lines but generally speaking I I, I enjoyed the balance in the movie of storytelling and kind of advancing the plot giving us a little bit of background and and uh character development and all the rest it didn't overstay its welcome i again i think my i don't i don't know that i have any complaints i thought the movie was really great but i would i guess a critique what i would just say is maybe you could have given us less i know that sounds weird but you almost answer too many questions it's almost it almost gets too deep into the situation as opposed to just letting the audience think it yeah and i think that would have been a more neat more interesting thing maybe even explore in another film or a prequel or something of some sort it keeps you wanted to it definitely does. I mean, the Mar- you know, the Marty character struck me. I was like, wow, this is a proper live action Shaggy at first. The voice and sort of his posture. Now, he the interesting thing about Marty is he's smarter than Shaggy. He's not so stoned that he's only thinking of food the whole time, although food does play a part with the Pop-Tarts and stuff. But, you know, what was also cool about the stoner character. And again, sort of oddly defying stereotype although this is a movie all about stereotypes and cliches is that he stands up for his friend at the gas station and he gets mouthy with that dude he shows courage you know mm. what i mean he's like you know you 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 were rude to my friend and then you know he called even his parting shot he calls the guy an asshole that's not very shaggy like and that's not very stoner like spicoli like yes yeah, Spicoli right? wouldn't do that so where'd you get that jacket that was yeah <laughs> <laughs> Did you get that jacket? I got this from the station. I got this from the station. Uh, yeah, so I thought that was kind of cool that they took that little effort. And I'm still kind of wondering why they did that. But I thought that was definitely interesting that they took the stereotypes and stood them on their head a little bit. You know, shout out to Matthew Lillard. He's the other live action Shaggy. But I thought Marty, who is that? Frank Kranz that played Marty. Mm-hmm. He, he, he. Did a, you know, it's like, wow, this is a live action interpretation of sh- straight up Shaggy. You know, is Chris Hemsworth Fred? Maybe minus the ascot, you know, pretty, pretty handsome. I mean, Chris Hemsworth, the Kurt character, calls himself a gorgeous man in the movie. You know, I like that it's the movie is very self, there's a lot of self realization in the movie. It doesn't, it's, it tells it like it is, which, yeah, I, it's one which of those, I think is interesting. It's one of those, um, he was. It was one of his first films, actually, Chris Hemsworth's, which was, which is interesting. Yeah, he got Thor. At. He didn't have Thor when they. By the time they got this movie in the can in '09, he still wasn't he had, Thor. He wasn't cast. Right, as and Thor he was. Then. He was Kirk as well, but right in Star Trek. But That's even right. then, he was filming this before Star Trek hit. So 
it wasn't I always like looking at it through that lens of like who you're actually getting, not yeah. the order in which it came out, but the actual filming order and all of the rest. So it puts him before he because Thor's 2011. So this came out in 2012, which was probably one of the big reasons they wanted to get this movie out in the post MGM era with Lionsgate was maybe we can make a little money on this guy. They were right. They did make Absolutely. a little bit of money. But I just look at I like looking at it through that lens because that's really he did this movie before he was really anyone. What do you think of Hemsworth thing. now? Obviously, super handsome. I like his style. I think he has an affability that shines through, right? But do you think in the order of really great actors for you, is he a great actor? I don't know enough about him because I was Mike and I were discussing that. I'm like, I, honestly, I think other than Red Dawn, I don't mm. with the remake. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything because I've never seen any of the Thor movies. And when I'm looking at his his um, filmography right now. It's like, yeah, I saw Red Dawn and then there's just a bunch of Thor stuff. And I don't I didn't see any of this stuff. So I really don't think I'm uh, really appropriately equipped to have an opinion on this guy one way or the other. I know he's very popular, but I just don't know. I didn't see Star Trek. I don't know any of these films, so I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen the Abrams Star Treks either. I have no interest in seeing it. Really? I think they they look good. They do, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, intri- I'm curious. I wonder. It'll be interesting to see if I could get through those movies. Dude, I was so I'm happy when they renewed Picard for a third season just so they can make fun of it on Red Letter Media because those are so funny. <laughs> those reviews are they're so miserable in those reviews and they're just so good. I love those guys. I think so Rich really likes it, doesn't he? Rich likes it. Yeah. Yeah. But the yeah. other two. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Rich likes everything. It seems like. <laughs> so one of the things that I am. Um, I wanted to finish on was we, 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 I promised we would get back to Joss Whedon. I mean, where do you where do you leave it with with him? It seems yeah. like I don't know this for sure. See, I don't presume to know enough about film and TV and production. I'm just looking at something here about it is. I mean, is he really done? Because it seems like his work is wrapped up. If you look at his filmography, he doesn't have anything new on it. I don't think except for things he's been removed from already like that. Yeah. The Nevers that show the Nevers. Right. Um, that's so right. W- how do you understand like what what's going on with him? Is he just is he just persona non grata now? They thought, you know, I, I've heard banter. I've heard talk. And, you know, I'm not a super MCU guy, although I enjoy the movies. I'm not even fully up to date yet. But people have pointed out the fact that he was yanked from the MCU after doing the first two Avengers films. And that was very telling because those two movies were people considered good and were very successful. Now it went civil war and on and onward were also very good and very successful. Mm-hmm. People have also pointed out that, you know, he started as somebody who was a script doctor and maybe was credited, maybe was uncredited, maybe worked behind the scenes and is still doing that in an uncredited way, which I find very interesting. But I could see, like I sat down, I really wanted to understand this, knowing more of Joss Whedon's legend than, again, his work, not being ever seeing really an episode of Buffy, not seeing Angel, still haven't seen Firefly, have seen the two Avengers movies, have not really seen a a, a big cross-section of stuff in order to judge him professionally i really know more of his reputation as one of these guys who is very a very sought after writer again i compare him to dan Harmon in that regards of like somebody who is known for being very clever witty a very specific style 
a very marketable style and somebody who's seemingly very talented at that, right? A vision, a visionary, a proper visionary, an auteur. But the Kevin Smith rant, for instance, was directly related to a story, which I don't know every detail of, of Joss Whedon calling a meeting with his, his group of writers, which I guess I'm assuming was on Buffy, but it could have been something else. And apparently it was a female writer. And basically he called a meet. He had a problem with the, 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 the vehicle or the episode that this person wrote. And instead of calling a meeting, a private meeting with just this one person, he called a meeting with this one person and all the other writers and can, and proceeded to browbeat this person for the better part of an hour in front of everybody to the point of making this person cry twice within this meeting. And that's what Kevin Smith was saying. Like, I can't, I can't even abide this. Like, this makes me so angry to hear like somebody would treat somebody like this. And then I've heard of two instances where he got physical once with an actor or maybe twice, once with a male actor and once with a female actor where he got physically angry with somebody. One case was somebody questioning his notes or trying to give him notes. And the other one was of an actor that he was trying to kill off of the Angel series became popular with the audience and basically was telling the actor like, like put him up against the wall and grab his throat and be like, I'm going to somehow find a way to get you off the show, even though the network and the fans want you on. Not in a joking way, but in a very, um, I don't know, sociopathic way. And then I went on to read stories of like specifically the Buffy, some of the Buffy cast coming out. And then that sort of dominoing one after the other of being like, he was a bully. He was mean spirited. He, you know, when one actress got pregnant, he asked her if she, you're getting too fat. Are you going to keep the baby? Like just behavior that went above and beyond like difficult. Like it crossed over into mean spiritedness. It sounds like, and I could say, Kyle, I watched, there's not a lot for somebody as popular as Joss Whedon. There's not a lot out there, but I saw him do some interviews and he seems like a rel. He seems like an unpleasant character. Like there's not, there's no likability shining through and there's very little humility. And I'm not saying it's a mandate that you have to be humble. I'm not saying that, but there's something there. He has a very defensive posture, even in an interview where he's there to celebrate his work and his projects. I saw him sit down he got invited to Oxford, the Oxford Union, and he's sitting down in Oxford doing this interview. And he was rude to the moderator and the audience. And, you know, it was like, it just seems like I could see all of the conjecturing, whatever you hear, you know, we're outside of Hollywood. We're, we're, we're looking at from the, from the outside in, we're fans. So I don't know what's real and what's not, but I can see it. Just in looking at, you know, taking a cross section of his behavior with whatever public videos are available and what's been said from reliable sources. There's a Vulture article where I didn't get a chance to read it, but it's supposedly very telling. And he is supposedly very forthright in the article about, yeah, I did this, I did this. And to an almost unapologetic degree, but at least 
so you know i heard i haven't read it yet again but owning some of these things specific instances actually of these of this behavior but you know again i don't i think i wonder i i do wonder like i I haven't seen any there there might have been actually some sexual harassment as part of this me too mea culpa with him specifically but there might have been at least one or two things that i heard about that but i i do wonder like I don't want to say a statute of limitations, but is there a cooling down period, right? Where he will become integrated back into the fold of, if not Hollywood, then just entertainment, you know, in in some regard. I wonder about things like this with, you know, Weinstein, guys like Weinstein are done and he was in poor health anyway. But I do want, there's a, there's a lot of cases. I think about John Lasseter, you know, Pixar's John Lasseter. Is he going to be, allowed to come back in a camera facing way where he could be the face of the productions he's working mm-hmm. at skydance or wherever he is but you know is he going to be a front a front man again you know i don't know i think about that with uh with guys like joss whedon and isn't it tragic because you hear about him and he, he grew up with this nerd and he grew up being bullied and he had such a hard time growing up and he never got any girls and all these things to, to grow up and have the money and to have the stature and the power and be a sought after creative in Hollywood and stuff like that too. It's so tragic that he couldn't just embrace that and uh, enjoy the perks of being all of those things, you know, being wealthy and being successful and having a family and all these things. So it, it's one of those guys who seems like, you know, he, he's kind of shooting himself in the foot. It almost it almost reads like, and uh, I I got tired of actually going down the rabbit hole this week. But it really did. Again, it did start with me almost pumping the brakes on doing the episode because I thought it was like so the behavior was so outrageous. You know, starting with that Kevin Smith reaction, which you never see him doing that. So, I you know I again I think it's interesting. I think it's going to be interesting to see the way it plays out. And you know I do wonder too like. I wonder two things. I wonder, can a really, truly shitty person, if that's Joss Whedon or somebody else, if Joss Whedon fits into this category, uh, realistically, you know, which I, I, I'm sh- I guess he does, you know, can they reform and can they apologize in a wholehearted manner? You know what I mean? Can they apologize you know, like, and mean it, right? Can they apologize and mean it and be allowed to return to that space and then demonstrate that they're going to bring a whole different, you know, a whole different look, a whole different persona way of treating people into that thing and, 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 and be forgiven. You know, it seems like these guys, I don't know if Joss Whedon got to the point is he even hungry enough anymore to apologize? Like, how I many? He's a millionaire many times over, right? Um, you would think they would want to do it just to be a good person, but you know, you think about so why do why do we never see that? You know, why do we never see the uh, heartfelt apology, the sincere, the sincerity, a sincere apology, and a return to a return to grace and being given a second chance, and then proving that you know you could be you could you could make that change. You know what I mean? And you could be a force for good and be someone who's actually pleasant to work with and maybe show you a little humility, maybe help 
coach and usher in and, and serve as a mentor to the younger people coming up. And, you know, rather than being this power hungry, it's my way or the highway, pouting, stamping your foot, you know, brat, that it seemed like Joss Whedon was, you know, and, and, you know, and, you know, being hurtful, you know what I mean? And yeah, it's interesting. I, I think he, he probably is still working because we brought up earlier is he's a script doctor, so he's not going to get credited for that shit anyway. And that stuff always comes out later. So we might find out that he was doing that for this time period that he's been silent this five years or so that he's not seemed to have been working. But I think the reason you don't see that very often is because people are prideful. I also think that it's it's probably difficult when you're in a situation where people are saying a lot of things about you and probably a lot of the stuff is mischaracterized or not true. Mm. And you're kind of expected to just accept all of it. And that's a difficult thing. Probably. I think there's probably some piece to that as well. And because there was things coming out with his wife, his wife was writing about him, about how he was cheating on him and I'm like, right. or cheating on her. And I'm like, listen, dude, that sucks. But I really don't care that you're what, that your husband's cheating on you. That's completely irrelevant to me. It doesn't mean anything about to what we're talking about, you know, so this stuff kind of muddies the water. I was like, that's a that's a domestic dispute <laughs> for you right, to, exactly. to deal with. I don't know that I really care about him cheating on you. I care about him mistreating people in his life, including you, his wife. But that's kind of a personal problem. And I don't want people to be going into our lives or everyone, anyone else's lives, dissecting them and are thinking they have the kind of parasocial right to dissect them like that. So I think there's probably some perspective to that. And then on, on his side, I think he probably looks at it, although he's he's right in one way, but he's completely wrong in his behavior is he probably looks around and he says, listen, I called this mm. a long time ago and I was doing Buffy and Angel and writing X-Men and doing all this shit when none of you even cared one iota about any of this. And I deserve respect for that. And if you gave me money, those shows would have been even bigger than they were. And then they gave him money. And then he made a couple of what are considered great Marvel movies. And so I think that that just fills a person's head with a lot of right or wrong. I think it's wrong because I, 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 I think that being uh, humble is even if it's fake humble, I think that that's good to just put that out there in the world. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of fake humility in the world too. And I think that that's Absolutely. fine. I think it's just better than no humility. And so I think that you just have to put it out there and be like, you, you can know your big dick swings, dude. I mean, we all get it, but I, I never understood mistreating the people around you that help get to help, like realize a vision or your vision. And you can have an iron fist without, and, and let the buck buck stop with you without treating people like shit. But I really do think it is some combination of that. I really think he's like, dude, I wrote Firefly 20 years ahead of its time. I wrote Buffy the Vampire Slayer 20 years ahead of its time. If you guys listen to people like me in the 90s, you would have been so far ahead of this curve. You would have all been raking it in a long time ago. And I think that that gave him a lot of power. Yeah. He and was a really major player in like making nerd culture like two fisted nerd culture. Like yeah, he com was. Comic -Con, it's Comic Con culture. I mean, he is the he is a nexus between all of it. Yeah, and he really, you know, and he re and he has a mind for it. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame that you know it's so interesting to see different perspectives and you know the way we were raised, the way an individual's raised, and and humility being like this foreign notion. Like I can't even see that the way I was raised. Like I wasn't. You know, but somebody might have not been raised like to recognize even what that is. There's no training for that. So it is, you know, but you have other visionaries. I'll say this. It is very odd 
for somebody to be working in Hollywood, in feature films, specifically in Hollywood, specifically with co- companies as, as large as Disney, right? That you, you have to realize you're in a collaborative art form. You're not some painter painting somewhere in a studio. You're not even an indie filmmaker. You're, you're working in the studio system. Like this is a collaborative, you're working with directors and ADs and writers and actors. And it's a, it's a, it's a conglomerate of creatives. Like you have to be, you know, you have to be collaborative. Like that's, that's part of the game. Now, show running, being the ship being, you know, steered by one sort of creative vision, one all encompassing creative vision. I get it. Like that's, that's totally fine. But you know what? There are you know, there's other people I would put in this same position: Phil Miller and Chris Lord, James Gunn, John Favreau, Pete Doctor. Like these guys, Drew Goddard. I mean, there's other people that could do it successfully, and maybe they have a blip, you know, some sort of controversy, and they have some blip. These people are in the public purview. Things are going to happen, but. It is interesting that this guy came under fire and then that flack only seemed to build over time. It's going to be interesting to see like how it goes, but yeah, I was I was interested in in um before I heard of the alleged sexual allegations that may have been one or two things that I heard wind of. It was interesting to me that this in this case it wasn't a Harvey Weinstein thing. It was somebody who just just really acted like a bully and really just was somebody who was so aggressive um, and mean that, you know, people were coming out and being like, yeah, he's impossible. You know, it was like, I don't know. I guess you hear of the old tyrants like John Ford and Hollywood and stuff like that, or even Alfred Hitchcock, the way he treated his actors and stuff. But it, it seemed to go generations and that wasn't really the case. And then all of a sudden you you hear about somebody like, you know, like Joss Whedon and it's like, oh yeah, I guess that, that could still, that could kind of still exist. So I don't know. It's interesting. I I, I was just going to say, I think it's, he probably looks at something like the expanse on Amazon. Awesome show, Mm. you know, awesome series of books. And he thinks he's just like, Jesus, man, like I was making this stuff a long time ago and I didn't get any money and I didn't get any support and I didn't no one cared and it was schlock and or considered that like it's funny Buffy and Angel has a little bit of respect these days but no that stuff was considered horrible back in the day yeah it was camp yeah it was awful like WBCW type UPN shit no one wanted to watch that stuff unless you were a little girl or something but somehow people really did low-key like it and it it came to an alias and all this stuff it just came to grow yeah and all and all these different ways so I just think a lot of it has to do with that and I I'm confident he'll be back I just it's he'll have a good idea and and it'll be and or or it could be a John Lasseter type situation where you'd basically just extract value from the person without ever acknowledging them publicly ever again. And that might be the that might be the safest way to do it. Just bring him in, use him behind the scenes, keep him out of harm's way, because that that's how I kind of John Lasseter is a whole different story, because as I understand his situation and I'm sure you know a lot more about it than I do, but he, he seen he was inappropriate, but it seemed like he was just more aloof and and like not aware of yeah. his what he was doing more than 
sinister like this was getting this overly is, physical and right yeah, yeah, hugging, like, you know, hugging, hugging and, too much yeah and, like and, and i'm sure it's not comfortable and i'm sure it's not okay and, I'm, and all that but i i just think there are like many different degrees and like you said weinstein's on the other opposite like rape end of the, the of it so so there's just a lot of different ways or like cosby right it's like there's a lot of different ways to yeah. interpret it so um but yeah it's it, 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 a discussion around joss whedon is certainly important to bring up as we wrap things up here is there anything else you uh want to say before we go dig you know i just had a great time with it i mean just little touches this little it really did call back that spielberg zemeckis sort of 1980s film cleverness it's interesting that you brought that up earlier in the conversation cop because there were little things like they're talking about like the little bit with the um hadley character really coveting this merman uh, meeting and wanting to wanting to wanting the merman to be dredged up so that he could be the torturing murder horror villain right so and they're saying and then he's citizens trying to comfort him and he's saying like oh you know they're a mess to clean up anyway and you're thinking like really like what does that mean but later it turns out they have the blowhole so when they're mm-hmm. eating their victim the blood and the guts spurt out the blowhole like just a little shit like that that they actually call back like they'll they'll allude to it and then they'll actually play it out later in the film it's it's really clever writing and supposedly they wrote it goddard and and whedon wrote it like in a weekend in a hotel room where they just kind of sequestered themselves and were like we're gonna we're not gonna come out We'll spend two or three nights. We're not going to come out until this is done. You take this half, you take this half, and then we'll kind of blend them. And then they had, you know, to, and I think, you know, it's one of those things that's, it's nice that it was as special as my friend Tom would often say at the animation studio back then of like, yeah, you got to see this thing. And, and always kind of wondering, my curiosity was always peaked in the back of my brain. Like, oh, I, I got to check this out. Like Tom used to fawn over this thing. So it was nice to finally see it. And it was a nice way to wrap up. Kind of a cool way to wrap up our knockback October for this year, and definitely you know, had a good had a good time with it. Me too. It was fun. Dig. Let's wrap it up now with the dad joke. Okay, I have one here <laughs> for us. I had one here for us. Okay, Halloween dad joke on Halloween for you guys. This comes from our friend Danny Mitzner. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Danny's ever com- contributed before. This might be the first one for him. Danny says, "Kyle." Why can't ghosts have babies? <laughs> I don't know. Because they have Halloweenies. <laughs> that one got me thinking when I first read Danny's joke. I was like, wait a second. That's pretty good. Thing. They could have a Halloweenie and still. But anyway. Makes Well, makes is he sense. saying it's like a Halloweenie? <laughs> like, Halloween. what exactly is he saying? I mean, we need, maybe we need more information. Well, nonetheless, Dig, I appreciate the joke. I appreciate your time for this on... Uh, Cabin in the Woods, 2012. Go check it out. If you haven't seen it already, I hope you have. If you've gotten this far into the podcast. And of course, thank you for your love, kindness, and support of all things Knockback. We could not do it without you uh, without you on Last Day Media's Patreon as well. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. We'll see you next time for more. Until then, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. 
Casual Misfits Gaming, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Daniel D'Amore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Innerfield, Griffin Queen, Nate Izod, Harky Chani, Albion, Logan Turner, Josh Schullinger, Mad Cats, Bloodborne Cart, Gunner 117, Andrew Roman, David Ghetto, Lord Starscream, Jacob Donovan, Eduardo Perez, My Name is Mayo, Eddie Medina, Jason Arzan, Christopher Knox, Zeno Adam, Sean Galati, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Blake Nesbitt, Sort of Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Whiskey Sin, Zia Parrix, Relentless Rex, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Reniger Graham, Christian R, Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez Espinoza, Chris Kelly, Remington Wilson, Dustin Graff, Zach Cohen, Peyton Stone, Jalapeno, Josh Allen Rui, Josh Keegan, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Aztec Parades, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Andreas Wessling, Randall Halsey, Robbie Nauman, William Holbert, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Surf the Void, Betty Ann Moriarty, H. Trons, Trey Woodward, Antonio C., Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, of Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapierre, Saul Balcazar, Berto64, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Matt Flowers, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Kendrick Callis, Chris Moore, Caswell, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Zach Allen, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, D.B. Cooper, Fat Houdini, Richter86, Todd B. Canning, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVio, Chris Morton, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Carlos Algorit, Dominic, Mike Menzel, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Juice, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, John Scholes, Tom Quinn, Spencer F., Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Pork and Beans, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jorge Powell, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gontoliger, Alex Monez, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Alan Hopkins, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Logan Willis, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Ashley Carlson, Marius Carson-Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Bo Burkholz, and Jonathan Rice.